you have to trust that everyone's going to do their best at the end of the day. And there are times where people get burnt and you just learn from it. And we're very lucky to have built up some really solid relationships with creators, with agents and with brands in the time that we've been working on these campaigns. And relationships generally drive forward pretty much every part of this industry. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of Impulse, the influencer marketing podcast. I'm your host, Pratik Panda, VP of Marketing at Philo, the universal API for creator data. Joining us today is influencer-turned-head of creative at Cherry Pick Talent Limited, Nikki Albon. You may recognize him as one half of the trailblazing, influencing twin duo, Nikki and Sammy, who started their YouTube channel back in 2013, grew it to close to 200,000 subscribers, He's been featured in publications such as the Sunday Times, hosted shows such as Stand Up to Cancer. Nowadays, Nikki has turned his talent to full-time influencer marketing, and he's using his advanced knowledge of the space to create award-winning campaigns for a whole range of brands. Today, we are sitting down to talk about his journey from influencer to influencer marketing. We'll talk a little bit about the highs and lows, understanding how agencies can navigate the entire process, and what's in it for brands as well as influencers and also influencer marketers. But before we get started with our conversation today, don't forget to hit the subscribe button on your preferred podcast platform so you don't miss out on any latest episodes. All right, Nikki. So first of all, thank you so much for joining us. No, thank you for having me. Your introduction <laughs> was amazing. And I need to just steal that for every time I need to introduce myself, maybe. <laughs> sure. Do you have the license to use this as many times as you want? One of the things that I ask almost all of my guests is to give me one controversial hot take on influencer marketing. And it's interesting if it comes from you because you've been on both sides. You've been an influencer and I've worked with brands. And now you're part of the agency journey where you're helping brands find the best influencers to work with. So what do you think is your hot controversial take on influencer marketing? I don't know that it's controversial in as much as it's just true, unfortunately, but my story being that I was an influencer and had been for around about 10 years and I saw the industry mature over that time. But still now, 13 years later, some of the biggest agencies that have the longest client lists with some of the biggest brands in the world do not treat creators with the respect that they deserve. And I was on the receiving end of that four or five years ago, and I'm still seeing it in the industry now by, unfortunately, the same names. So it's not controversial in as much as it's true. Creators are not being treated with the respect that they deserve as small business owners, entrepreneurs, and creatives. And that's something that a lot of agencies and brand side marketers will talk the talk. But the truth is that still to this day, creators are not being treated as they should be and as perhaps their clients would expect them to be treated. So one thing I would love to see more of in uh, 2024 is creators being treated with the respect and the open conversation and communication that they deserve. So yeah, not controversial, but it is something that I think should stop. And I would hope that this is the last year of that. But again, we'll see. So Nikki, you've been very vocal about this issue at hand. You've published a few videos as well talking about how creators are not being treated with respect and not being given the space that they need to perform well. Why do you think this is happening? Because like, if I think of as a brand, you obviously want to give creative freedom and space as well as expression to your creators so that they can come up with something impactful for your brand. End of the day, 
you're spending money, you want to make it work. Why do you think do we have this issue? The influencer industry was famously or infamously very Wild West and cowboy for so long. There were no industry standards. There's been many attempts to solidify what they are. I actually think that regardless of guilds, unions, and all these other things that are happening are in pockets, I think they're maturing at a baseline just organically. But I think that when it comes to working with creators, because there is no roadmap to how to do that, and oftentimes bad players have got in the mix and just taken advantage of the situation, it has really held the industry back. Also, I speak from experience as a creator that I came out of uni and went straight into creating content. There was no role models teaching people how to do it, how to negotiate with brands, how to know your worth, and how to know what is and isn't allowed from a personal perspective in a contract, in an agreement, what you should and shouldn't sign up for. So I think there's lots of layers to this. And I think that it is just by nature, the fact it's a global industry. I think that it's maturing slowly because different areas are holding it back. For example, I often talk about this, one of the first brand deals that I got as a creator or was offered as a creator. Bearing in mind, I made comedy content for a predominantly female audience between the ages of 16 and 20 was a electric screwdriver and the brand in question had reached out to us and offered us the opportunity to receive a free screwdriver in return for branded content. And at the end of the day, creators can't pay their bills with gifted items. That's just, that's a no-brainer. So there's that whole thing going on where the quality and value of the content isn't being valued in kind. They're not being compensated for the work they're doing in a fair way. And don't get me wrong, there are instances where things are of very high value and a creator will create content in return for that experience. But that shouldn't be the expectation across the board because that's just not fair. Nobody should work for free in any capacity. So I receive a lot of that and it still goes on to this day. There is a space for it, but I don't think it should be the norm or nor the expectation that anybody works for you or your brand for free. And there's advantages to a paid collaboration. As soon as there is financial exchange, it professionalizes the experience, but it also means that there is barriers and safeguards for both the creator and for the brand that allow the content to become the best it can be, but with the brand having the ability to have full overview of what it is that they're partnering on and for the creator to have security knowing that there is a payment at the end of this, you've signed a legal contract, this is binding, and both parties are happier. Do you think that enough creators are also talking about it or do you think there isn't enough voices you know, talking about this issue right now? I think that creators are talking about it. I think that it's tricky because at base level, I'm British, so it's a very British thing to say. We don't talk about like our salaries as much as, let's say, Americans do. And I think that holds, at least in the UK, that holds people back because it's always a very personal thing to talk about finances. And as a creator and having been through it, there's something very personal about creating content that has your face in it. So I jokingly always refer to it as creating a horcrux. You're always pouring part of yourself into something. So it's deeply personal when you're making a piece of content and respecting the creator when a brand has feedback on content or they have edit requests. It needs to be handled sensitively because when you pour your time and effort into something, especially when it has your face on it and your voice, it needs to be handled sensitively. And I think that because of this really personal nature and link that people have to the content they're creating, it makes it difficult to talk about compensation, expectation. And I think that's changing in the role that I have now. I will often talk to creators and advise them even outside of our collaborations on 
what can and, and can't go into a contract or things they should maybe not be agreeing to, just because I do think it could be more of an open discourse. But it's getting there just more slowly than perhaps everyone would like. Coincidentally, you know, a few weeks ago, I was chatting with a friend and we were talking about the need for a glass door like thing for influencer marketing. I think there are some websites that are trying to do that now, but still not something as big as Glassdoor, where you could, as an influencer and as well as a brand, right? It goes both ways. If you're an influencer, you could see which are the best brands to work for. Do they pay on time? Do they give you creative freedom and so on? Are you aware if there is anything like that already there or do you think it would be valuable to have something like this? To the best of my knowledge, no, there isn't. One thing I have seen, oh, it's embarrassing to be the receiver of something like this. And I never have, nor has Cherry Pick, I will add. But I have many a time seen on LinkedIn or on Twitter, now X, that creators will directly tweet or engage with a brand on social media or call them out when they haven't been paid per the payment terms of their contract. So there isn't an industry standard. Obviously, there are laws. I'm most familiar with the UK. So obviously, we have a 30-day payment term for self-employed people. It's very standard across the board. Freelancers, self-employed people, you're paid within net 30. I worked with pretty much every agency as an influencer that is currently existing in the UK and globally. I was very lucky. I was doing the job for 10 years, so I had the opportunity to experience everything. Very rarely was I paid within anything less than 60 days. And it's tricky. It's tricky to navigate as a self-employed person, not knowing when you're going to be paid for the work that you did one, two, three, six months ago, and having to spend time chasing those invoices. So yeah, I have very regularly seen very big players in the field be called out on Twitter and on LinkedIn asking directly the CEO when this person is going to be paid or what's worse, when a brand is being told that the creator they've collaborated with outside of their own stuff, so via an agency, hasn't been paid for work that they've long seen finished. As a brand, I would receive that and red flags would go up immediately because that's not how the creators I work with, I want them to be treated. So no, there's no glass door, but what you can do and what I would advise creators to do is when they receive a brief from a agency is to just type their name in on Twitter, X, along with the term payment and just see what comes up because it's unacceptable the amount of time that creators have to wait. Cherry pick is, we're very proud to say that we pay all of the creators we work with 99% of the time within 30 days because we've all worked, either myself as a creator, people within the company also worked as talent agents. So we were very aware of the common bottlenecks or pipeline issues that that self-employed people have, and it's just not on. And that's one thing that I'm really proud that we do is making sure we pay creators timely so they can pay for their bills, any expenses they've incurred, or just receive the payment that they deserve for the work they've done. Yeah, that sounds like a very fair and obvious thing, but it's sad to know that in most cases that's not happening. In fact, on our side, we've done a fair share of influencer campaigns last year, and almost 70 to 80% of the times we've paid even before the campaign went live. So most cases, it's been in advance. Of course, as a marketer, I've had my concerns of putting that amount of money at risk. But sometimes you establish a good amount of trust and that the creator is also very much invested in making your campaign successful. And that's what you have to go with. 100%. It's all about trust. You have to trust that everyone's going to do their best at the end of the day. And there are times where people get burnt and you just learn from it. And we're very lucky to have built up some really solid relationships with creators, with agents, and with brands in the time that we've been working on these campaigns. And 
relationships generally drive forward pretty much every part of this industry. Life is too short to not have a good time at work. And I really try to carry that with me. And I think everyone that I work with does that too. Like I've been on the receiving end of a snarky email that was just totally uncalled for. And I really promised myself that I wouldn't do that. So we just do our best to make sure that everyone is having a good time when we're working. So it's truly a collaboration. So tell me this, Nikki, you've had experience being an influencer. Now you're on the other side of the table. So what does a day look like for the head of creative at Cherry Pick Talent? Right? What do you do? How do you help brands be successful? I'll rewind slightly. So my first experience at Cherry Pick was campaign management. So I was head of partnerships at the UK side of the company. We're based in the UK, but we have a North American, Canadian and US team and European presence as well. But I headed up the UK partnerships. From there, I don't know if it's an obvious thing to say, since I was a creator creating my own content, I chatted to the team. I just felt like my experience lent itself to being creative. And so I'm heading up the creative team now. Largely, I'm across pre-sale and selling into clients and responding to pitches. So I spend a lot of time working on decks, a lot of time chatting to clients, understanding what it is they need, what they've got coming up, ideating with the creative team on our concepts from what we're seeing in the landscape, what we're seeing ourselves as social media users, what's happening around us to come up with creatives that we think work. Then I suppose the rest of my time is spent working with brands on their creatives and making sure they work better for creators. Because what we know is, and I'm sure you've experienced this, brands and the team that work with brands are their biggest guardians. So they will always say, I know what's best for the brand. I love, live and breathe this brand every day. That's why I work, which obviously I respect. But at the same time, I then have to lean in with, whilst I hear that, I work with creators every single day. And at the very core of it, we have to let them lead with what they think is going to work best. Because the whole reason we're working with these creators is their relationship that they organically have built up with their audience. So a lot of my time is spent talking to brands, educating and advocating for creators, and also advising brands that may be new to influencer marketing, why it works, how it could work for them, and talking a little bit more about the ins and outs and the campaign flow of working with an influencer agency, even if that's not cherry pick. I think educating across the board is a really important part of what I do. So I'm always happy to pick up a call with anyone that's interested in influencer marketing and, and chatting a little bit more in depth about how I see it working for them and how I think we could work well together. So from the creative perspective, one of our biggest clients is Epic Games. So I spend a lot of time talking and playing Fortnite, which for me is a massive bonus because ask any of my friends, I spend far too much time on Fortnite. It's okay. But it's a joy because it's a brand that I really care about because I play with it as a consumer. And it means I get to have a lot of fun working on those campaigns. So yeah, a lot of spending time on decks and educating, I suppose, is if I could distill it down to two things. Got it. That's amazing. So you did talk a little bit about what makes influencer marketing work, right? So what is it that makes it work? How do you measure impact? How do you make your brands aware of whether influencer marketing is going to be good for them or not? And what are the signals they need to see to know that it's working? So it's always important to establish what that KPI is with a brand. If it's something very broader funnel, such as awareness, then obviously influencer marketing, I will advocate for. I think it's much more trackable, tangible. You can see the results per post. It's much better than whacking an ad on a bus because you have no idea how many people are going to see it. 
So it's just understanding what their expectation is, their KPI, and going from there. How I see it working is the influencer marketing in many ways combines the status of a celebrity with the kind of word of mouth power of a best friend in many ways. Depending on the niche and vertical, you may follow influencers for different reasons. If I'm a vegan, so I follow a lot of vegan chefs on Instagram. And just yesterday, for example, I was recommended a new tofu brand that I hadn't heard of before. And whilst I didn't click through on the Instagram story to purchase, I saw it in the supermarket the following day and I purchased it. So it's this halo effect influence marketing that you're laying the foundation for purchasing intent. You're driving that sentiment that I don't think resonates as well, unless you we go back to the ad on a bus as an example, unless that's punchy, piffy, and really it's funny, like I'm not really going to resonate with it. And that happens. So I'm, I take the tube to work most days. And there's so much noise on the tube with all the different ads that they're not cutting through in the same way that I think wholehearted recommendation from an influencer would. So for me, it starts with understanding what the KPI is and the goal, and then talking more in a more structured way around how I see that influencer campaign working, what effect that will have. And if the spend is there, then you can do things such as brand lift studies to understand what impact it had more broadly. And did the audience change? Did you resonate better with an an audience that you didn't expect to? That's also the other angle is if you want to get hyper granular, you can do that with influencer. Other advertising forms are much more broad strokes, which have their use, absolutely. But I think if you have a mixed media plan, I think influencers can slot in a way that not many other forms of advertising can. And establishing someone as a brand ambassador in that through influencer is so powerful. And we see so many of our partners do that. We recently worked with Mr. Beast and My Talking Tom, and he had an outfit in game. And his fans and My Talking Tom's fans were over the moon. And there was such a harmony between that collaboration that it just was like, I always have this thing, like if you work with an influencer and a brand and it's the most perfect fit, you just see like stars because it worked so well. And he was a fan of Talking Tom. The Talking Tom fan were a fan of Mr. Beast, who isn't these days, that it was just the perfect match made in heaven and it just worked really well for everyone. So yeah, it's about understanding what the goals are. That's amazing. It's, of course, the best experience if you can find that kind of fit because like you said, sparks fly. But like any other marketing channel, right, a lot of experiments, a lot of campaigns that you do may not even work. How do you handle those conversations with your brands? Does it make them feel that this channel doesn't work for me? Or is there a better way to keep experimenting and learning what will work for you? So first and foremost, Cherry Pick with all of our partners is in it for the long run. We're not there for a one and done campaign. So We have enough experience to have a very strong idea of what will work, firstly. So we will never direct a client unless we're both experimenting, unless it's an agreed moment where it's a long-term client, they want to try something new and we're happy to do that with them. We will be very upfront with what our guarantees are. So we do offer guarantees on a spend so that a client's money never feels like it's just being thrown into a black hole. And so we'll back it into a CPM and more often than not, because typically that is the metric we go for. Things like CPIs and CPEs are also there. We do those less frequently, but they are becoming more popular. If it doesn't go to plan, we tend to rebook or work within the creators that have already been booked for that campaign to try and get us to the point that we thought we would be at. But honestly, sometimes it's just a moment of honesty. Like the internet with all things is unpredictable at times. 
there are things happening on a global stage, but also more geo-specific to the areas that we're working in that may affect the reach or impact of a campaign. And that's just beyond our control. So we seek to have a really transparent relationship with our clients. We always do our best to make sure that we are delivering on the promises we've made. If it's a real experiment, we just have to be honest with it and be candid with one another and just say, hey, look, this is a real shot in the dark. We've never done this before with this demographic or this niche. We have a good idea of how this will deliver. But just so you know, we don't know. That luckily is outside of how we normally work. I'd say 99% of the time, because of the time we've been around and the things we see in the industry, we have a good idea. Awesome. That's great. So Nikki, one more thing as we get closer to the end of this episode, you've had great experience growing your YouTube channel to almost 200,000 subscribers. If somebody were to start a YouTube channel today, it's a lot more competitive. What are some growth strategies that you can recommend? If I was to start a YouTube channel today, I would say that my approach would be the same as what I had initially when I started. I think is consistency, is covering, first of all, you need to be passionate about what you're talking about and not in the cliche way of like, I'm really passionate about this thing I'm talking No, if it turns on a light inside you and it's a spark that you want to share, that will speak to people in a way that it just wouldn't if it wasn't something that is something that makes you shine a light. You see it with people when we're talking about or doing something that fulfills them, that it radiates out of them in a way that you don't see if somebody's just going through the motions. So I would say find what it is that lights you up and then share your light. I think that consistency in that is very key. So if you are going to upload, decide if that's once a week, if that's twice a week, what that looks like. Unfortunately, I think anything less than once a week will make it harder to grow in the nature of these platforms. Third, I would say use every platform that's at your disposal that makes sense. So if you are sharing cooking tips, make a cut down for YouTube shorts that you also share to TikTok. But if you're uploading to YouTube, keep it long form. Use the short form to drive interest. And you never know what will resonate well in different places. You may have 100,000 followers on YouTube, but the audience that watches you on shorts is totally different to the one that watches you on YouTube long form. And the same is true of TikTok and Instagram, just because they're similar platforms. They're very different audiences at times. So I think use what's at your disposal Make the most out of the content you've created so you're working smarter, not harder, because creating content, it can be a big investment emotionally. And to that point is do not see yourself as a number. I think if I was a creator now, I would try to have a full-time job alongside creating content so that it stayed as fun as possible. When something's paying your bills, there is a pressure on that to make it something that maybe it wasn't. So yeah, do something that lights you up share that with the world, do it consistently and have fun doing it. That's all great advice, Nikki. To switch gears a little bit, uh, I have a fun question for you. If you had the chance to take an influencer out to lunch, who would that person be and why? When I first started watching YouTube, before I knew what YouTubers were, I watched a creator called Grace Helbig and she was probably one of the first creators ever and she uploaded daily and I loved her content. So I would take her out for lunch because it has just become such a full circle part of my life that I've actually started watching her again after the 10 years. She's doing well. She was unwell for a time that I was completely unaware of. And it's just nice to return to a piece of content or a creator and have that feeling of like coming home. So yeah, I would take Grace Helby for lunch and just chat and see how she's doing. That's awesome. One last question for you, Nikki, before we sign off. If any of our listeners are listening and want to start off with influencer marketing, 
haven't taken the plunge yet as a brand, what are some tips and advice you would like to share? Yeah, I think it always pays dividends to talk to someone like me or in a similar position to understand how and what influencer marketing can and can't do for you. I think understanding it is really important because what I've experienced a lot is when someone within the company really believes in influencer marketing, but they need to convince the higher ups that this is where they should go with their cash, take it out of XYZ and, and move some or a little test budget across to influencer. I get that a lot. And often not, I just say, hey, I'm going to work with you to sell this in because I do believe that it works. We see it time and time again. So I think just connect with an influencer agency, have them explain to you what their vision is, allow them to be the experts that they believe they are. If you come to me, I feel like I know what I'm talking about. And it's my job to convince you that I do and how it can work best for you. So let me do the hard work is what I would say. We're there to support. We want to, I speak for myself and cherry pick largely, but we want to be part of your team and your goal is our goal. So I think it starts with a conversation. It doesn't need to be the biggest budget in the world. You can do a test budget and then grow from there. We've done that with many clients. Some of them spent all their money on paid media campaigns. And over time, they've siphoned that away to influencer because they see that it returns either in quality of the cohort that they're driving to their product or the community they're building. So yeah, I would say it starts with a conversation and people like me are around to have that chat. So always feel free to reach out because there's no such thing as a stupid question in this new space. Awesome. Thank you so much, Nikki. This was an amazing conversation. A lot of insightful takeaways there for everybody who is watching and listening. Thank you so much for spending time with us. No, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed chatting. Impulse, the influencer marketing podcast is brought to you by Philo. Philo is the easiest way to get access to authenticated creator data from hundreds of different platforms. To know more about Philo, visit getphilo.com. That's get P-H-Y-L-L-O.com. Also, make sure to search for Influencer Marketing Podcast in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or any of your favorite podcast listing platforms. And don't forget to click subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Philo, thank you so much for listening.